Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove, and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Church Online. I'm your host, Tom Hargrove, and today we are actually continuing our series, actually finishing our series of What's My Mission? Alright, I am on, yeah. What's my mission? What's my I'm like paranoid now, okay? Last time it was really bad. So, what's my mission? What's my mission? And we've been talking this whole month about how vital it is for us as Christians to learn our roles as believers of, of really making an influence for the kingdom of God. That our, that our calling is much more than just this uh, lifelong uh, disciplined pursuit of uh, man's concept of repentance. Like we're supposed to move beyond that and actually just go into what we can do for Jesus, what we can do for others. And so today we're finishing this series and uh, in this message, I was actually waiting to give like three Sundays ago, but I've really been anticipating this message, and we're going to be talking about the excellence of love, the excellence of love. And as Christians, it's incredibly easy to become tunnel visioned in our faith. And, and as we pursue seeking God, and we forget our mission of the love of God. We seek knowledge, we seek prophecy, we, we seek miracles, and we, we seek the supernatural, but rarely do we seek the simplicity of love, of love. In fact, many, many Christians would rather listen to a sermon labeled Deeper Truths than a sermon that would be labeled Love God and People. We oversimplify love so much that we check it off as in our internal boxes and try to move on to what we think is bigger and better things. But today, I want us to understand that Paul, as he gives this long dialogue about spiritual gifts and our usefulness for the kingdom of God, he ends chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians in a very peculiar transition. He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and yet I'm going to show you a far better way. So as he goes in, spends all this time unpacking our roles in the church. He unpacks our giftings, our usefulness within the mission of Christ. And then he says what he's about to say next is more important than anything he just said. And then he begins chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and then he devotes this entire chapter of how love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. And so as we discuss this chapter, I really hope that it inspires you to see the uniqueness, the simplicity, and the power of love, of real, authentic love. Because love is the magnificent grace that we all need in our lives, and love is the command of Jesus to show others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 that all of the laws, all of the teachings of the prophets can be summed up into two simple commands. That's 613 commands in the Old Testament that he says can be summed up into two simple commands. That everything is based off of this. And he says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says the second is just as important as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the, the focal point 
of our mission in Christ. That means if we focus on loving God and loving people, that we don't have to constantly be looking at new ways to achieve man's idea of holiness. It, it means that we don't have to uh, we don't have to look through works or rigorous false conceptions of repentance if we devote our will and our heart to love God and people we will inevitably fulfill God's will and naturally develop more purity in our lifestyle what I'm saying is just like scripture says if we focus on loving God and loving people everything else will be added by itself it will just happen within us. Our hearts will be, begin to, de to desire new things, new concepts, as we pursue loving God and loving people. So, with that, let's break down this chapter 13 by starting in verses uh, 1 through 3. And it says, If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, oh, did I skip that? I want to know. Come on. If I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. These are really powerful statements that Paul's making. Because he's talking about how love is a strong catalyst to our faith. It's, strong, it, it's one of the strongest catalysts to our lives, to our faith, to this world. And the most amazing thing about this first passage is that Paul compares each of the spiritual gifts he just listed in chapter 12. He's comparing the list. He's saying if I prophesy, if I speak in tongues, if I do this, if I do that, if I do this, if I do that. And as he lists them, he says that they are worthless if love is not involved. So he puts love as greater value than any other spiritual gift. Love is at greater value than any other spiritual gift. It, it's greater than any miraculous sign or even the sacrifice of martyrdom. When he says, if I surrender my body so that I may glory, he's literally saying, if I am killed for Christ but did not have love, I'm nothing. Sit on that for a moment. Paul, later, is literally crucified. He's killed for Christ. He's killed for Christ. And here, he is saying that love is more meaningful than any sacrifice that we could ever offer. Any bodily sacrifice. He even says if he gave all that he had to charity. Any financial sacrifice. He lists everything and says love is greater than all these things. What it shows us is that there's absolutely nothing more spiritual than love. There's absolutely nothing more spiritual than love. Think about it. In the beginning of Jesus' birth, the Bible says that it was all for love. In John 3, 16, what does it say? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And even when Jesus is talking about coming back in Revelation, the end of the Bible, one of the most uh, memorable corrections to the church is to the church of Ephesus in which he tells them, you have lost 
your first love. Out of all the things that the church was doing right, he says, yeah, that's great. Continue doing that. But you have lost your first love. You have lost what matters most. See, love has always been the heart of God. And the more that we love others, the more that our hearts reflect the heart of God in this kind of powerful love. And I really think that in our day and age, we've been distracted by the show of churchianity or church vanity. Been distracted by the show. And I, I don't want us to, don't get me wrong, the church has done amazing things. The church has done amazing things in the world, but we have ignored the irreplaceable value of love. It's an irreplaceable value. And I do not believe that we can fully embrace our mission as Christians or the Holy Spirit's power without first embracing the necessity and the calling of love. Look at what this verse says in, in the book of the prophets, Amos. It says, I, this is God talking to the people of Israel. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. An endless river of righteous living. See, why is he describing this practical idea of injustice and righteous living? Because the opposite of which is seen in love. Righteous living is seen in love. Justice is seen in love. And all things good, all things holy are seen in love. God does not want to show from us. He wants an authentic heart. He wants, to, he wants, he wants our authentic heart to show love through our actions and our choices. Love truly is the catalyst in making a difference through your mission in Christ. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so if we can grasp this concept of how truly important love is, that's not this mushy-gushy idea, but it's, this, it's a real, tangible pursuit that God is talking about here. If we can understand the severe importance of love, now let us unpack its simplicity by looking at the next couple of verses. Verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not, neglect, it does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep a, an account of a wrong supper. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps very every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, what we're seeing here is, oh, my bad, guys, I didn't mean to do it again. We're seeing a simple display of love, a simple display. And one trend that we can pull from this passage about love is that it is not biased. Love is not biased, nor is it provided based on merit. The way it describes is this, is love almost like an abstract and independent thing. It's independent to our feelings. It, it's almost like uh, the way that's described is, is almost like it, it exists similar to gravity. 
Gravity has its own laws, its own rules. Love is the same way. It exists like that. It, it, we often think that love is just being, uh, being some type of feeling that can be earned or taken away. But we see now that it abides and moves through these behaviors listed, and it flourishes even through hardships. Love is not merely a flutter of the heart. It's not a flutter of the heart. It's not an emotion. All those feelings are a reaction of love within us because love is an action and a choice. Love is an action and a choice. Love is an action and a choice. And all emotion, all feelings of our heart come after those actions and choices we make. And when we choose to love, it is clearly seen. Love does not Love does not work off of intention. It doesn't work off of intention. It works off of action. And it is something clearly seen and displayed. And when we show the love of God through our actions of ministry to others, it, it is not just what we do, but how we do it. When we choose to love, it goes into not being just what we do, but how we do it. I strongly believe that people are above, prince, uh, are above policy. People are above policy. And so often we make love about checking the box. But love is something that is engaged. It's, it's something that is interactive. And as love is described in these verses, we see the, our hearts, that we see that our hearts do matter to God. It's not just what we do, but how we do it. And I want us to, to really, I don't want us to go backwards in thinking that the power of God won't, won't move on our behalf if we don't love right. I don't want us to, to start doubting ourselves or our abilities to make, to make a difference. We can simply do the work of ministry and the power of God will move on behalf of his name. He, he will cause it to happen. He, when we see Paul arguing about the different leaders in his time that were preaching the gospel simply for their own benefit so that they would earn some type of recognition so that they could be idolized. Paul literally says, even if they do it to spite me, I praise God because at least the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. So he says that the gospel of Jesus, regardless of the intention, will make a difference because of the simple power and truth of Jesus and his resurrection. And so... Don't let the idea of like, well, maybe I'm not loving right stop you from doing ministry. I believe that the more that we put our actions forward, the more that our hearts will correct itself. As our, I really believe that the Holy Spirit will cause the Word of God to return fruitful. But when it comes to love, it's for our benefit and our connection of God. And doing all of these things without love would be a loss for us. It'd be a loss for us. There's such, there's such a path of learning the love of God through ministry, through our actions, and, and through personal growth. And if we can understand that love is the end of all, then we can better be guided in our intentions and in our decisions. We understand that love is the end of all of God's mission. And I want to give a simple example of how how love can be displayed within ministry as we love God. And it makes me think about when I used to go to, to public schools 
uh, to share the gospel and minister to the students at the school. I'd walk lunches and sit with kids, pray with kids, all that. And I had this universal goal as a foundation to everything else I would do in ministry. Everything was stacked on top of this goal. And it was it's my baseline in ministry wherever I go to ministry. And that is to show the love of God in some way. To attempt to show the love of God in some way. And everything stacks on top of that. And so it's just really simple. But when I would go to these schools to lead these these Christ-based messages at, uh, to these students, I'll bring food. I, I feel like food is just like the universal sign of like friendliness, right? In fact, anyone that might think that I'm promoting gluttony in my actions, let me, let me share scripture. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon literally says that all life is meaningless and that all man has is to enjoy the food of his labor. Food is the only satisfaction. <laughs> That's that Solomon said. The most wisest man besides Jesus who walked the earth said that food is the only thing that we really have. Everything else is fleeting. Everything else is vain. So I brought the one good thing <laughs> to these kids. And what was easiest and cheapest for me, because look, I'm not, very contrary to popular belief, doing Christian ministry is not very lucrative. And so the most I can bring is the is hot dogs. And not even those like like 100% beef hot dogs. Like, no, that's a little too much. I'll just get like several packs of those like, I don't know, like 28 count things of hot dogs. And I don't even know those ingredients listed on the back of that kind. Kids don't care. Kids don't care at all. And I would make about 70 hot dogs every week. Yeah, on the grill, just flip No, I'm just joking. I'll put them in this big pot of boiling water and just leave it there until they all floated. I don't even know if that's how you cook them right, but it was good enough. They were hot, and some of them exploded. It's okay. And you know what else I did? Just because it's not what you do, but how you do it. I toasted those buns. Hell yeah. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, amen indeed. I laid them all out in some baking pans. I sprayed those mugs with Pam. Yeah, that's buttered buns. Buttered toasted buns. Put them in. Man, they came out perfect. Those kids loved them. Packed them all up. And it was complicated. Crystal knows. It was complicated bringing 70 hot dogs and buns on school. I had to get a little dolly, okay? But this is, this is where it gets unique, okay? We bring food, snacks, drinks. And we had a little station where kids would would come in, we'd meet in the cafeteria right after school. And we would let any kid who wanted to come, come and eat whatever they want. And after this little 15 minute interval, we would start the message. And no one was obligated to stay. No one was obligated to stay. They were not coerced, there was no expectation. We wouldn't harass them. You can just come freely, eat whatever you want, and leave if you want. And you know what happened? We'd have over 60 kids come in. 60 kids. And they saw free food and just this generosity. You know, you know how many stayed? Between like 12 and 20. Between <laughs> you know, like 12 and 20 kids. And a lot of people thought this was a poor way. <laughs> this is a poor management 
of this club that I was doing. And a lot of people had suggestions of saying, why don't you do the food after the message so that you can get more kids to stay? You might be thinking that, you and everybody else. And the reason that we didn't do that is because it was an opportunity for us to show the simple generosity and grace of God with no strings attached. It is truly some, a way that we could just show love that was unearned, without expectations. It was just freely offered and given. There was no coercion, no badgering, no harassment. And that, that kind of showing them that love of God, independent of their actions, was my goal. And it was a simple display of love to where even the students, I'm talking about high school kids, and this was kind of like a, like a school that some people would consider the hood school. And these are high school students that are like, man, how can we let them just come and eat all of our food? I was like, hey, man, that's the, that's the love of God being seen. That everyone is really eat. And they're like, but I was here last night. I didn't eat any, any food. And I was like, the first one be last. <laughs> last one be first. I would set aside some extra hot dogs for those. But what I'm getting at is, even to the students that stayed, they got to see and witness the generosity of God. This no strings attached love. And it, it, it impacted them. Those kids still reach out to me today. I'll, it's been years now. And they'll still message me. Because they, they got to see an authentic love rather than something that was based off of their actions. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And they're so... It's so simple. It's so simple. But what it really is is just looking at whatever you're doing of really engaging with the person you're trying to minister to. When, if you're going to give money to somebody on the street, instead of just giving them money so that they leave your car window, imagine pulling over, getting out of your car, and asking for their name, then giving them a 20, and then asking if you could pray for them. Think, do you not see how that display of love is much more meaningful than if, if someone is just throwing out uh, dollars without even considering them a human being. See, really engaging with the love of God. So let's finish this dialogue about love by reading this last of this chapter and unpacking it. It continues on in saying, uh, in verses 8 through 13, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain these three but the greatest of these is love. Now I want us to talk about spiritual maturity. See, what Paul, what Paul's describing here is one, he's saying, this, this second part of the passage is, he's talking about how now we know in part, but then we'll know fully. This is Paul. He wrote over he wrote nearly 70% of the, the New Testament. Okay, he's one of the most spiritual men that have ever lived. And he's saying, I only know part, but in heaven, in eternity, I will know fully. 
he, he's, he's giving this display of saying, all the things that we can look for and seek for, all prophesy, all wonders, all mysteries of God, they're only shadows of the real to come. And they only are, are, are little nuggets, per se, while we're here. But one day in eternity, it will all be revealed. And so what he's saying in this concept, this is all talking about love, remember? He's saying, so in all knowledge, it will one day be worthless because we'll know all things once we're in eternity. All prophecy, it will be worthless one day because one day we'll just know God. He's saying, but love will remain forever. That's why he's saying love is greatest of all these. And, and look at this moment where he compares himself to as a child. and says, when he became a man, he put away childish things. See, one, one, one interesting thing about love, when we were starting this church, I remember talking to different pastors and ministry leaders, and one, our, our purpose as a church is really simple. It's love God, love people, make a difference. And it's focused on this, this idea of love. And it's kind of irritating because now I've noticed a lot of churches have used that catchphrase, and it kind of pisses me off. I'm just joking. They got it from the same book, but... Jacob's like, that was really unspiritual. <laughs> See, when I first was uh, growing this church and writing all of the, the, like our, our direction and our vision, when I would share this part about love, I had a lot of criticism from other pastors and other, other Christian leaders. And they would, they would talk about like, well, don't you think that's kind of like, like it's just so too ooey-gooey? Like, you know, the, the church is supposed to hand out swords, not lollipops. Right, Terry? <laughs> the inside joke, y'all wouldn't get it. But. <laughs> and it's just like this perception that love is like less than. You see, that's, that's what I've realized that a lot of the church today, we see love as this like, this like secondhand store. This less than thing that we should move on to bigger and better truths. But here Paul is saying that it was immaturity of him to think of anything else as more meaningful than love. And it is only when he became mature that he realized that love was the greatest. See, in, I remember reading this chapter in 2012. This is just two years after I gave my life to Christ. And it, when I read it this time, I read it many times before, but when I read it this time... It just felt like I was reading it for the first time. And as, as I read it just in unpacking love in this particular day, it resonated with me like never before. And for the first time, I realized that the Bible says, the Bible, not, not Homer, not anyone else, but the Bible says that love is the greatest. Not the world's uh, perception of love, but the love that we're talking about today, it says that it's greater than any work that I could do. Any kind of work I could do, love is greater. That love is greater than any kind of holiness I could possibly achieve. See, what made this part really resonate with me is I had just got done going to ministry school. I was really like crazy. And then the perception that holiness was the most pristine thing that you could achieve, and that God will only move through you and work through you if you reach a certain level of holiness. 
And I was always confused because like, what? <laughs> like how old do you have to be before God can use you? And then I would read scripture that says, man's greatest holiness is like filthy rags. And I was like, well, I don't even think I'm that holy yet, so I must be like worse than filthy rags. But I remember thinking that holiness was the greatest. And that's what I was taught. But now, seeing that my holiness means nothing, that the love of God is even greater, that this love is greater, that it is greater than any kind of miracle, any kind of prayer, any kind of message, any kind of spiritual thing that I could ever possibly do. And when I learned this this day, it really just changed how I saw God. It rocked my world. It, it changed how I saw God. It changed how I saw the Bible. It changed how I saw people. And for the first time, I saw this raw importance, this power and the simplicity of love. Now realize the value and the potential of even being, of love being the safe haven for the confusing times of life. Of love being able to guide me in moments of conflict and situations in which I didn't know what to do, I could lean on love. And as Paul is talking about love being most important, he puts himself as a child becoming a man as he learns Love of God being its true love being valuable. And what I find is that in our youthfulness, we often we often are self-absorbed in our youthfulness, especially as teenagers, right? We're, we're self-absorbed and we're concerned with all things about ourselves, all things in what it was like, you hear that sound? Alex <laughs> loud. <laughs> See, in our youthfulness, we chase ambition. We, play, we chase the exploration of our world around us. And it's rare that we put importance on love. We can put importance on belonging, but the real concept of love, it's rare for us to really get it. And people who are seasoned in their years, and a lot of older people, often no longer care about the things that they once cared about in their youth. They don't care about the things of the world. They often have a unique trait of cherishing the love of those around them. People end up becoming the most valuable people to them. And it shows that just as Paul describes when we mature, we realize what matters most. And that is love. Love is the most spiritual and godly thing that one can do. Especially when it comes to ministry. Especially when it comes to your individual mission for Christ. Love is the foundation and the safety net. It takes maturity to take up the calling of love. And I would even say that it is spiritually immature to do the work of God without the love of God. Can it still be spiritual? Yes. But it would be spiritually immature to do the work of God without the love of God. For me, in this journey about love being the greatest, I've really learned that it is not always easy. It is simple, but it can be incredibly difficult to love certain people it can be incredibly difficult to love in certain moments in life. 
See, we think that at, at first glance, love just seems like this beautiful, easy breezy thing that we can all just do. But when you really think about it, what about when you're alone, isolated in a dark place, is it easy to love? When you're going through a difficult time, those dark times, those hard times, I realized as a youth pastor, it was increasingly harder to love kids, students, when I was battling depression. I learned that, that showing love to certain people can be harder than others because there's some people that you just end up coming across in life where you might try initially, but as they push you away, you might even have these thoughts that they're unlovable. That you show them love, yet they, they throw it down. See, that's when love starts becoming a little, a little more tricky. To love those who don't love you back. Or what about loving those who hate you? I mean, really hate you. doesn't matter if they have a cause or not. There's some When you're alive long enough, there's just some people that don't like you. And it is not easy to love those who provoke you. You ever had somebody talk to you in a way to where all you wanted to do was share your thoughts too about them? I remember working with someone before and I was about to leave this, this place of business and we were all cutting up as we were doing this like inventory together and they just kind of randomly looked up and said, you know, it's so funny to know you now because when I first met you, I never liked you. I said, okay. <laughs> you want me to tell you what I thought about you? <laughs> See, there's, there's some people that will provoke you. And when I've come across people like that to where you really want to share what you think about them, as they provoke you, as they try to hurt you, Loving your enemy, that's when you realize just how difficult love is. Any parent that has ever raised a teenager during a rebellious stage, frick, that is hard. That is hard. Me, me and my wife, we fostered some teenagers for a couple years. And man, that was hard. Because we had this idea of love that's very something simple. But when you're actually doing it, I mean, when you have a teenager telling you off after you've fed them and clothed them, <laughs> man, it, it just is different. It, it's different. I mean, you're talking about forgiveness. I remember a moment of, of for the first time thinking, God, how can I ever forgive this person? I've never thought that in my life. I've always just been inclined to forgive but when someone really hurts you and you care about that person, that doctor is like, how can I really forgive them? And then love comes in. See, love is simple, but it's not always easy. Love is easy. It, love is not always easy, but love is always right. It's always the right choice. Every time, no matter how hard it is, Love is always the right choice. And with that being said, I want us to take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here today, because I'm talking about love being so incredibly valuable, 
how important it is to God. And maybe you've never seen God in that light before. Maybe you were raised in church, in a church that was maybe even toxic, and you saw God as a list of rules, almost as this, this mean principle, always out to get you. You were shown this idea, this imagery of God, as if he was always trying to just slam dunk you to hell. And today, as I am talking about the love of God being so gracious, being so authentic, it is seen in Jesus dying on the cross. That moment was a will, willful choice of God to pay for the world's sins, to pay for every, every fault and mistake of humanity so that we could have relationship with our Creator. And if you've never seen this as a simple act of love, and you want to put your trust in that love today, you've never had a moment where you made this decision, and that's you. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I mean, I see your hands. So just there to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. Have your own conversation with Him. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you talk to Jesus yourself with an authentic heart and acknowledge who he is, the Son of God that died on the cross for the world's sins and rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start this relationship with him, this journey with him. The word repentance is simply translated to change direction. And when you put your trust in Jesus, when you start walking after God, following after God, that is the, the moment of repentance in one's life. It's the moment where we change direction and say, I want to know God in my life now. That's as simple as it is. And the closer we get to him, the more he works in our hearts, the more he works in our lives. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. And as they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here and you, you just feel like this talk about love was eye-opening for you, maybe it was clarifying for you, illuminating for you, you feel like the Holy Spirit is just ministering to your heart about this. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church. Top Church.